Hello, and welcome to the Boundless Book Club, the bi-weekly podcast for the Emirates Literature Foundation. You are here with Annabelle, Andrea, and me, Ahlam. Our guest today is Saeed Saeed, arts and culture features writer for The National. The last time Saeed joined us on the podcast to talk about regional authors, we had such a great response from you, our listeners. We had lots of comments and people sharing the episodes, and we loved that. Please keep your comments coming on social media or email us on comms at emirateslitfest.com. So no pressure, Saeed, but I guess this is the episode where we're going to find out if it was you or the topic that people liked. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me. I had a great time before. Last time I was on the show, I presented um, an anthology of short fiction stories. Now I'm back, you know, with a bit of an uh, with a bit of an epic novel. So I had my work certainly cut out for me, and I'm glad to share it with you today. Oh, it's great to have you here. We look forward to hearing about. Uh, your experience with reading this week's book. And today we'll be talking about the Oscars of the book world and the six talented authors whose books have made it to the shortlist. And uh, before we get into the books themselves, I wanted to ask you all a question. Do you rate the Booker Prize? It is one of the most prestigious prizes in the English speaking world, but does it mean anything to you? Or is there another prize you trust more? I think when it comes to book awards generally, we kind of have to distinguish you know, between what kind of people are following it, right? So, you know, you get the sort of book award, for example, is followed, you know, to a T by the publishing industry as journalists, as mm -hmm. culture lovers, because, you know, you get, I mean, forget winning the Booker Award. If you get the Booker stamp, a nomination, you know, that's a whole marketing campaign, you know, right there. So that shifts, that shifts thousands of books. So within the industry, it's a very, very important book. And it's also a great way to kind of give, you know, certain authors a spotlight that we don't know, because, you know, the Bookers isn't a popularity concert, a popularity contest. Mm -hmm. It's about the craft, right? So you find a lot of authors internationally getting the spotlight suddenly, globally, from the Booker Awards. So in that sense, it's very important. Now, as a reader speaking, I think book awards generally don't mean that you'll that you'll buy the book but book awards generally i think what they do is they're they're a good guide mm -hmm. on books to read in the future you know so i think on that sense um book awards you know they serve different purposes to different people i'd agree with that as well um one thing that comes to mind is actually a conversation that we had about one of the books that i think uh, you'll be talking about today Ahlam. we had a book club conversation about it this week and I have to say that the Booker books tend to make for excellent dissection mm -hmm. afterwards. So whatever the experience of reading the book has been, I find that it's always a rich conversation afterwards. And so it's almost like the, the Booker Prize doesn't just feel like a book award for adding stuff to your library. It, it gives you discussion fodder. Um, and I always think that they're kind of like, water cooler prompts more than they are just books in themselves they're part of like a wider cultural conversation I think that's what I like the most about the the Booker Prize um, and I don't think I've ever had a year where I've read something on the Booker shortlist and I've not thought about it in more detail or had an argument with someone about it so it's always been it's always been fun and there's always a lot of controversy as well on some years which again are like all adds to the discussion all that all adds to the conversation so it's never it's never dull it's sometimes dull reading the books but it's not necessarily dull talking about them <laughs> how true i actually i find that um i really like the women's price for fiction for their i think their shortlist is usually really really great in a in a slightly more 
readable way than the Booker Prize. I think mm. the Booker shortlist and longlist is usually, it's quite a big mix of things, which I love, but they tend to be slightly less readable for the masses, I think, whereas the yeah. Women's Prize seem to factor that in a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. In the same way that I think the movies that are nominated for the Oscars are not necessarily for everyone. They're, you know, have a specific criteria to to be on that list and maybe not as digestible for the masses too. Yeah. And let's and let's not forget, I guess, you know, similar to you know the Oscars and the Grammy Awards, there's a lot of things that happen behind the Booker mm-hmm. Awards, you know, there's a lot of jockeying, you know, there's a lot of lobbying, you know, especially, you know, from big, powerful publishing firms, right? So mm-hmm. it's not, it, so I mean, I don't, I, it's not uh, a very kind of pure view of everybody sitting there in the table and talking, there's all, there's a lot of stuff, it, it's, a, it's a whole campaign to get nominated, then it's a whole campaign to actually win it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this year, one of my favourite Booker-related stories is how um, William Sutcliffe, who's married to Maggie O'Farrell, uh, Maggie O'Farrell went onto Twitter after the announcement of the long list and said, I do not know a single thing more that you could do that my wife hasn't done that should get you on the long list for this prize. And I just think that is just, that's romance. <laughs> he was like taking to Twitter for his wife after the fact. And that's just, it was adorable. <laughs> but it's true, though. I mean, to think about even, you know, with with Avni Doshi, whose book I'm going to be talking about later, um, you know, to think that initially there were so many publishers who didn't want to publish her, you know, and then now suddenly she's gotten to this place and Burnt Sugar is on the short list and now she's blown up, you know, just just makes you think. How many readers, writers out there who are just like writing genius pieces of work that are they go unnoticed and not picked up just because, you know, they don't have the right camp- marketing campaign, like you say, Saeed, or they don't have the right push to get them to where they need to be. It's great when it happens to an unknown mm-hmm. and they have that pretty woman moment where, you know, the publishers turn them down, turn them down, and now she's shortlisted for the Booker Prize and she can walk in and say, big mistake, huge. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I love those stories. And it just, yeah. that, I think that's the, the nice side of, of the Booker Prize. I think it's pretty amazing if you write a book that is due to be published and the Booker Prize changes it, the day of its award ceremony because they don't want to clash with your book launch, um, which is what happened with Obama's memoir, which I think is, um, that is pretty insane. He might not win the Booker, but you know, he's kind of won the whole game anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's won at life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So we've got six shortlisted books for this Booker Prize. And before we talk about who we think will win, which I don't want to get ahead of myself. So what, what have we all brought to discuss today? I know you mentioned Avni Doshi, so maybe maybe we start with, with Avni there, with you, Ahmad. What's really exciting about this is that Avni is based right here in our hometown in Dubai. And, uh, you know, it's not often that we uh, have someone from, from our hometown be nominated in this way for such a global, um, award. So it was really, really exciting when she got nominated. 
we were all celebrating in the office. And uh, what was really cool was that I got to read the book and then uh, interview her a week after at the arts club. So once I had finished the book, I actually picked up the phone and, and had a conversation with her. And I had the most incredible conversation before the session. And I was thinking, oh, I, I really wish we didn't have this conversation. So it could have happened on stage in front of a live audience because it was such a great conversation. But then we went on stage and we had a completely different discussion altogether. There's just so much to say about the story. So it's a story of a woman named Antara who was raised by her mother and um, has had a very difficult upbringing with her mother. Her, her mother's made lots of maybe selfish choices that made Antara's life particularly difficult with part of the time living in, a, in an ashram where her mother took her away from her father and lived and in, moved into this ashram with her and had a relationship with the, with the guru, uh, a romantic relationship with the guru while they were there. So the, the Antara was very much detached from her throughout the time in the ashram. Uh, and then they move on uh, to having Antara in, in a boarding school where life was super, super difficult for her over there as well. And just throughout her life and until she grows up, her relationship with her mother is difficult. Her mother is uh, not always aware or kind to her in in the way that you know Antara wanted or, or deserved and now her mother is getting Alzheimer's and forgetting her memory and Antara is left with taking care of someone who never really took care of her when she needed her you know all of her life and so she you know she starts off the book saying you know I'd be lying if I said uh watching my mom's you know my mom suffer wasn't giving me pleasure but you know now it's like she's going into this situation and it's like someone would anyone would have told me you know that's enough now situations are different it's really interesting you know and in the in the book Antara is an artist as well and she's creating this art piece which is closely linked to memory where every single day she she paints this portrait of a man and then puts it away um and then and then the next day draws exactly the same thing and she keeps on going for a couple of years and then sort of looking at what you end up with in the end and what your first drawing was and kind of that reflecting memory in the same way how it like changes just a little bit with every passing day uh, which is really really interesting but the writing style of Avni is so concise so compact and powerful she says a lot in a few words and short sentences and I love that writing style I learned a lot of, about difficult relationships throughout the book you know even though it's fiction there's always a lot of uh, truth to it you know her relationship with her husband her relationship with her mother with her father and you know her 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 willingness to accept love because of the difficulty of her of her youth and also it's all about motherhood and and also postpartum depression and so there's a lot of interesting themes in the book uh, really recommend it it's not a long read as well you could probably read it in a, in in a day or two depending on how fast you are but like it's really gripping i found myself just thinking about the characters um, throughout the couple of days that I was reading the book and, and being really concerned with them. If you're interested in watching an interview with Avni, Annabelle and I have spoken to her on the podcast and there's an episode on our channel. So check that out for sure. Um, I loved the book and I think it was my favorite read since January.
I'd really like to hear about Said's book because that was one I was really interested in reading as well. And I think I will after this. Sure. And uh, yeah, so the book that I'm coming with is um, The Shadow King, right over here for you, um, by Maza Mengiste, Ethiopian American writer. This book, it was anticipated. That's because her first book was, you know, was the wonderful debut, Beneath the Lion's Gaze. That book was, um, that year, ended up on top of uh, many lists in terms of the critical appreciation, listed also in a number of publications as some of the, um, as one of the best new, um, one of the best African novels from the decade. So since then, you know, we didn't hear much from her, you know, and that's because, you know, she has been working in the States, um, teaching creative writing across various institutions. So her new book, The Shadow King, is almost like a prologue to um, Beneath the Lion's Gaze. And you're seeing this as well with Manza Mengiste's work throughout the years, her short stories and everything. It's a, it's, it's a, she writes very, very close to home. So where Beneath the Lion's Gaze was a story was very similar to her story, which is a, which is of a family um, struggling to survive, you know, in the years of the Ethiopian Revolution in the 1970s. The Shadow King picks up basically just on the cusp of that revolution um, beginning, and the story looks back, you know, into 30, 40 years. So. The actual book itself is set in the Second Italo-Ethiopian War, which is which which basically occurred from 1935 to 1937. It was basically a defense against Italy's imperial ambitions, and this this was one of the major. This was this was one of the minor battles that was a precursor for World War II. So that's a, so we're just setting you up here with the um with the situation, and basically the Shadow King um, tells the story. Of a, of a young woman, her name is Hirut. She's a young woman who was a servant um, and, who worked, um, and who worked in a house because her parents died. And the book over a 40 year span traces her journey from being this kind of lowly servant, not ambitious to being essentially one of the, um, a warrior within, the, you know, within that struggle. And I think what this book does, it really sheds light on the many Ethiopian women who were the backbone, you know, of that battle, um, you know, for Ethiopia to successfully to keep its territorial integrity. So that's essentially kind of the, the outsider of the book. But the book basically in itself is basically about relationships. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, the book begins essentially with her entering, you know, this large house. And it's, it's, it's almost like a Ethiopian downtown Abbey situation, you know, so you know, she's there as the servant. And she's basically brought into the house as um, as a as a favor from her um, from her dead mother to the um, to Kidane, who runs the household, who's also mm -hmm. a leader in the battlefield. And the first part of the book essentially kind of exposes, I guess, the societal the societal configuration of Ethiopian society at the time, which is essentially mm -hmm. almost it was very feudalistic. It was very kind of, um, you know, your place. So she was there as the servant. Then, you know, they, they, then there's the chef, there's the housekeeper. So with, within that, you know, within that relationship, there's also issues. And then you have Esther, um, who feels a little bit uh, threatened, you know, by, um, by, by Hirut, her young age. And what does that mean for her? So the first part of the book essentially kind of looks um, at that um, relationship. And then, you know, as the drums of war 
kind of um, louder and louder. They all go out on the, they all go out basically in the open. You know, the men have gone to fight the war and the women are kind of following behind and getting engaged, you know, you know, um, in their own battles. And within those battles as well, enmities between the people in that household kind of doesn't mean anything. There's forgiveness, there's anger, you know, each relationship really swings from fury to love, from anger to forgiveness. And so there's a lot kind of going on there. And that's the real interesting thing about um, Mengista's writing is that she's juggling so many things and she's, um, and the book is narrated, you know, through the eyes of Hirut, you know, who also transforms, you know, again, from this kind of very meek, shy person, you know, to this battle-hardened kind of warrior woman. So Mengiste mm-hmm. kind of tackles this in a very meditative and kind of a somber way. But at the same time, the book is relatively pacey because there's battles going on as well. So it's not really an action thing or like an, 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 an action or war tale in any way. It was kind of more about how war is used to kind of expose you know, truths about yourself and how you kind of relate, you know, to the world. So it's a very interesting book. Mm -hmm. I I finished it two, three days ago. And even now, just talking about it, there's still a lot of things that I'm trying to unpack, you know, because there's a lot of layers in this. And the book has been rightfully, Mm -hmm. um, I'm hailed, uh, you know, as, you know, as one of the best, you know, of the year. And in a way, this is definitely, I kind of, if the Booker Award had a genre, (laughs) <laughs> this is definitely within the you know Booker <laughs> wheelhouse. It's evocative, you know. It smacks of you know it's of culture, <laughs> inspiring women, and yeah, it's a it's definitely. I'm not surprised that it's that that is within um, within this nominated. You say that, but I have to say that that is one of the few books on the shortlist that I wanted to read from the blurb on the back. <laughs> and if I think if I think back to Booker books, I never pick them up because they sound interesting on the back. Oh, some I, of them really do. That's unfair. I, I think the Testaments did. I love Milkman. It's great when you read it, but I just think that I always feel sorry mm. for whoever has to market them sometimes, uh, market literary <laughs> yes. fiction, because often so much happens in terms of like the emotional progress of the characters and relationships, and there's so much going on. But it's not necessarily kind of action plot based stuff. Yeah. You know, that they're, they're not plot, they're not plot novels, which is why if you try and discuss like a murder mystery in a book club, like the conversation isn't gonna last that long. But with a book of book, it does. Like you said, say so you're still having stuff to unpack. But honestly, when I when I I think it's maybe just me, but when I read the back of the the, the booker list, I, I tend to not do that because none of them really appeal that much until you actually start reading them and you're like wow this is great (laughs) it's funny you say that because I think the book you read Annabelle absolutely had the type of blurb that would make you go oh this is this is going to be interesting no (laughs) you don't why did you pick it for today okay because I thought um because Saeed picked the shadow king (laughs) (laughs) My process of elimination. <laughs> so I think it was also because in our travel episode, we talked about kind of wildernesses and stuff. So I've chosen, should I do mine now? Yeah. Okay, right. The New Wilderness by Diane Cook is set in a 
near future where climate change and overpopulation has taken hold. So human beings have nowhere else to go except overbuilt city dwellings as all land is now used for resources, oil, gas, water, food, storage, etc. Um, so there's one area of wilderness that's left and it's called, quite fittingly, the wilderness state. There's one patch of land, no human is allowed to enter for obvious reasons, they're trying to preserve it. And what's interesting about this is it wasn't written with kind of COVID or current climate change in mind. Diane actually wrote it, I think, a few years ago. But as with any kind of timely novel, it's, you know, happenstance. So it's been published now and everyone's calling it quite timely. Um, when you approach this novel, um, all of these dystopian elements are already part of humanity's new normal. And everyone essentially because of overpopulation and pollution and then being nowhere else to go is all, they're all crammed in the city, um, city with a capital C. And it's just this smog-filled, dense, packed society. Um, trees are few and far between. I think there's something like 12 in the city and they're kind of barricaded off. Now, from the description that I've just given you and what's kind of on the back of the book, it leans very heavy into the dystopia. And I think these are, we've had cli-fi before, so I think when I read the back of the book, it wasn't necessarily that I thought that it sounded uninteresting because actually you're, you're right. It does sound like one of the more interesting ones on there, but it wasn't necessarily something that I wanted to read because I thought, OK, there are other books that tackle this. Um, this doesn't sound like it's necessarily for me, but the wilderness angle of it really appealed to me because of our travel episode. Um, and the moment I read the first paragraph, I thought, okay, I should have just read the first paragraph and not the back of the book. Um, you are, you kind of like learn the background I've just told you over the course of the first chapter, but it's woven into the present day of a group of 20 people, or they start as a group of 20 people, which gradually gets whittled down, um, who are sent into this wilderness state as an experiment to see, because for years and years, human beings have not been exposed to nature, what that relationship between nature and human beings would look like. Um, so they basically go in as guinea pigs and to see whether or not human beings can still coexist with nature in any um, productive uh, kind of peaceful way. You, you follow this community of people as they try and inhabit this wilderness state and they can't just kind of be left to their own devices. They have this kind of nomadic hunter-gatherer existence so it's set in the future but there's all the also this kind of hearkening back to primitive life which I think is really really interesting part of the story and there's kind of this bit that I wanted to read to you here there's this observation that the main character makes she says there used to be a cultural belief in an era before she was born that having close ties to nature made one a better person and when they first arrived in the wilderness they imagined living there might make them more sympathetic better, more attuned people. But they came to understand there'd been great misunderstanding about what better actually meant. It's possible it simply meant better at being human and left the definition of the word human up for interpretation. It might have only meant better at surviving anywhere by any means. So I think you can tell from that that though they moved to this wilderness state, it's not, it's not smooth sailing. They have to fend for themselves. Groups, um, people in the group die. And it's quite a harsh existence. There is a, an unnerving sense of 
what is this experiment actually for and who's behind it and who's controlling it and you can see the group dynamic disintegrate as well as you might expect not necessarily in a lord of the flies kind of way but gradually you can see certain members of the group undermining others and there's like a play for leadership and power that you might expect from this sort of situation and amongst all of that the highlight of this um, and it made me think of Avni Doshi's book actually in terms of style and subject matter weirdly even though it's a dystopian novel with a really great plot the mother-daughter relationship is the heart and soul of this book Agnes and Bea now if you imagine this young girl has been brought to this wilderness when she's five years old and when she's kind of eight and that's when you meet her she's this feral being that's really at home in her surroundings and she's becoming more and more attuned with nature while her mother still kind of misses things about the city and things about her past and her old job and they kind of butt heads on this. And there's this great quote that I'll end with from the author on kind of that whole relationship. And she says, I wanted to write about the ways we lose important people in our lives, not just in death, but in the ways we don't connect even when we want to. I think of Bea and Agnes as magnets, as likely to be brought together as they are to be repelled apart. I think that is so common in relationships between mothers and daughters. It is such an elemental bond. It can feel so charged, feel so loving and then hurt so much. And I think um, reading Avni's book, I think that's something that you feel in that as well. Yeah, as, as difficult as the relationship is, they're connected in such a deep way. Yeah. That, you know, you, whether you like it or not, it just is. Annabelle, I'm just wondering, going back to the conversation about looking at book blurbs, you know, <laughs> I mean, because, I mean, kind of and, 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 and this leads to this book, right? The thing is, when, a lot of the time when I'm looking at book blurbs, I'm looking almost, I'm almost scanning it for certain words. Because certain words for me, I just, and I'm, I'm like, nope, that's not it. So for yeah. me, so, so some of the words are farm. I don't read anything. I, I don't do, I don't, I, just, I don't do books set in farms. I'm sorry. Okay? And, <laughs> Oddly specific. Very. Yeah, I know. And, uh, and another one is, um, you know, environment and like that type of situation that you described and a lot of it is because I don't feel I have the patience because I mean I associate you know those books set in like you know in desolate or quite static at um, environments as I'll be subjected to pages and pages of description and I'll and I'll fall asleep I don't have that you know that um, literary patience to kind of go that so when in your book when, when the author describes, you know, the, the desolate nature and, you know, the environment, I mean, is it done like with a light touch or is it, you know, or is it quite heavy going? I think it's quite lightly done. And I think that there is a lot of care in it. I remember when she, there was a moment where she's describing the landscape and just the words she used just to describe kind of the craggy mountains and everything. It felt like there was action taking place in the landscape, but she, she does a very good job of capturing the wildness of the place and how mm -hmm. inhospitable it can be but then also kind of those pockets of pockets of comfort so I I thought it was quite lightly done but what I would recommend you don't do is do what I did and go to Goodreads and, and read what other people have said about it I realized I liked this book quite a lot when I got very angry on its behalf when I read Goodreads reviews and there was one lengthy one that was kind of like an essay on this didn't make sense this didn't make sense the description was endless and I didn't feel that way at all but you'll you'll know from the first like three pages Saeed if it's for you or not I understand 
book don't go on goodreads honestly i think that goes for everything just don't go on goodreads <laughs> but i'm interested in this what are the other keywords that you avoid yeah knights and templars i don't know oh, yeah. that either <laughs> i don't know how it even came but i just i just kind of feel that you know like like you know books that are kind of so far i think you know it's actually more personal because all of this stuff is so far removed from mm. where you know where like you know where i grew up in so for me making that even that imaginative leap to even mm. you know to um to to kind of render the image you know in my mind i find it very hard that's so mm. interesting sorry you know, when i see things like terrain mountains rivers and <laughs> and mm. you know and oceans like for example one like you know for me one one of the biggest writers in australia someone comes from australia is tim winton he's a mm. you know yeah fr- i mean i mean from what i understand tim winton is an amazing amazing author you know he, he won basically everything but every book he has is about the ocean and i can't deal with that <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> i, I want to pick that up right now <laughs> yeah, it's very water it's yeah. very water heavy so it's funny like you know how that works what are your trigger words like what are, what are the words that you see and that you run a mile with i was just going to say annabelle's is manifestation <laughs> <laughs> i know hers yes. but i'm not sure what mine is <laughs> but do you remember a, a long time ago we did an episode where we said the classics that we are not going to read Mm. I don't remember where yours were, but mine is Moby Dick. And if I see <laughs> mariner on the back of a boat, then I'm out. The, the word mariner just never leads to anything good. I'm not sure what, what specific words I'm like repelled by, but I, I'm often attracted to books about complicated relationships. I don't know. Like that's my like <laughs> immediate draw. Yeah. So the Booker Prize is great for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Basically. I want to read everything you guys have talked about today. So But and Andrea, what what's your book? Where are you taking us? I am taking you to a post revolution Zimbabwe. Oh wow. I like that already. Post revolution. <laughs> I'm I'm down. Okay. Yeah. I think there's there's definitely some parallels between our books side because this, so I've read This Mournable Body by Tsitsi Daga Rambenga. Sorry, I'm butchering that. Um, I'm sorry, Tsitsi. Um, she's a Zimbabwean writer who's very highly acclaimed. And the, there's the parallels with sort of the post-imperialism and the, the women who've gone to war. But this is uh, the third book in a, in a sort of very loosely connected trilogy. And having not read the earlier too I think means that I don't get as much of the sort of the women who came back from war story it's it's been called quite a difficult book to read and and uh and it it is but it's also rewarding and it tells you a bit about Zimbabwe's independence but through this woman who's from uh, just a normal village her name's Tambu or uh, Tambudzai and she's a really difficult character to like. She's she's damaged, but because because of the way these novels are written, if you only come to the third book, then you don't actually know the source of that damage, and I don't you don't know where all these issues that she clearly has where they they what they stem from. She 
um, is really difficult to like and really difficult to root for. And when we first meet her, she is she we know that she's left a job, a highly paid, prestigious job at an advertising agency, which she's left for some reason that we don't know. But we get the sense that it's connected to a sense of pride. And she's living in this hostel for young women, but she's too old to be there. And the lady, very kindly, the kind lady who runs it keeps sort of saying, you know, do you think you could possibly move out soon? And I, I, there's this really horrible passage early on in the book where we get the sense of who Tambu is, which I just wanted to mention where she's at the market and she's waiting to get on these, this bus to go back to where she lives, to the hostel. And she sees this woman who lives in the same hostel. This is beautiful um, young woman who's also going to get a bus, who's dressed in a fairly short dress. But the, the people at the market take an issue with her being this beautiful woman in a short dress. So they start harassing her. And Tambu gets completely caught up in this. Um, and someone is sort of pulling at her this woman's dress and Tambu's sort of titillated by it and looking and and the crowd ripples and fidgets and hums and buzzes with amusement and energy swirls out from this mouth and it slides you from your seat to the ground and into the throng the crowd laughs and you do too and as you do you grow and grow until you believe you're much bigger than yourself and this is wonderful and then it just carries on and the, the menace of this crowd just grows and, and, and it's written in second person, which is really unusual. So it's you, you are there and you suddenly have a stone in your hand and people are pushing and sort of calling, um, calling this woman names and you're really enjoying this. And, and that is um, a really horrible scene. It's so full of menace. And you really get a sense of this woman just not being a very nice person at all. And she knows this woman who's being harassed. Um, so that's sort of what we know of her. And she has so much pride, which, as we know, comes before a mighty fall. And she's a terrible hypocrite. And at every point where we think that she is going to pull herself together and sort of get herself sorted and, you know, get a job or, or, or move out of the hostel or whatever it might be, it all just, she comes so close and then it just comes crumbling down. And, and it's, it's a difficult book because there's so much humanity and there's so many ugly human traits that you recognize, but they've just been blown out of proportion. So at some point we get the sense that she must have been told that she's destined for greatness because she was really good in school and so on, because she has all that bitterness of, of, uh, unfulfilled promises and she's just incapable of dealing with what her life has actually become so we see her deteriorate mentally physically and uh, and it is it, it's a bit of a slog because you are you are her it's it's in the second person so it's all you you are doing all these horrible things you are experiencing all this trauma so do you feel like you're being dragged down with her you are you are dragged down with her. You're you're doing some pretty bad things at points as well. You're losing control of yourself, but that also means that when we when it turns, it's really rewarding. It's one of the, it's a hard going book, um, but it is also really rewarding. And when you get to the end of it, you feel like you've deserved to get to the end of it. And it's uh, it just it 
tells you quite a lot of things that you probably wouldn't ever know about Zimbabwe and what it's like to to be there and to be in that um, what's left after after the revolution, after the war, after the women came back from war with all the you know all the difficulties that they brought back. So it's uh, it's really great really really great i mean the the authors having the experience of present day zimbabwe right now yes. sadly yes i know i mean those sorts of things shouldn't have an impact on on the outcome of a literary competition but i do feel like there is potential for that to become a factor do we know anything about the ones that we haven't read for the podcast and what do you who do you think is going to win from from what you know of the other two and what you've heard today so i think shuggy bane which is one of the ones we have none of us have read for today it seems very very gritty it's sort of set in a it's a family drama in glasgow i believe in a very poor um very poor circumstances and i started reading sort of the first chapter of that and I, I sense that's going to be a bit of a misery fest, possibly in the most beautiful way. But, but um, I think it's got potential to be mm. I'd rather mind it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, The Shadow King, but just following its progress from reading the book after, there is a lot of, you know, I mean, I mean there is a lot of chatter you know, about this. I mean, you know, Maza as well has this kind of um, ch- um, Chimamanda, you know, mm. grace to it as well. Like, you know, you kind of see as well, while it's always about the quality of the book as well. I mean, this book has a lot of potential in crossing over. Yeah. You know, in like, 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 the way Chim- like the way Chimamanda um, Adichie's books do. Yeah. So, um, so in a way, I think, because I mean, the story, while, you know, you know, it does, you know, span, you know, it, it, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of elements to it, politics, you know, history. It is actually written in, a, it, it's relatively accessible in comparison to, to the other books here that we just mentioned. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure Abney Doshi's book is, re, is relatively accessible as well, but in comparison to that, from what, I'm, from, from what I get from Diane Cook's book and Cece's book, um, Shadow King can, uh, can kind of break through, I think, and get a wider mm. uh, readership. Interestingly, Chimamanda, I think we all agree, is one of the most amazing people. I'm, I'm just assuming that we all agree on that because, of course, she is. Yeah. Um, but she's never been nominated for the Booker, has she? Chimamanda? Yeah. Hasn't? Well, she, I don't think so. Maybe long-listed? Wait, according, okay, according um, to to Sheikh Google, which led me <laughs> to, um, to a story about a guardian, Chimamanda's first novel was long listed okay for the man mm, okay. so that was a long list was that purple okay. hibiscus so that was the, yeah the first book yeah that's right i almost kind of feel that the man booker is almost again it's like it's his own kind of it exists in its own kind of universe mm-hmm. yes. yeah like i don't think like like you know we used examples of the oscars right like normally, normally a lot of the time the oscars you know they the most of the time, the award kind of confirms what we already know, mm-hmm. right? While this one is just almost kind of like its own field, yeah. you know, where Chimamanda, you know, doesn't even exist in that universe, I, I think, for example. Yeah. So it's interesting how, you know, how it works out. That's something that we haven't mentioned about the Booker Prize is that the judging panel changes every year. I looked at 
the judges for this year and I thought, okay, Margaret Busby, Lee Child, Lemsi Say, Sunny Rahim, Emily Wilson. And if you look at the biographies of each of these people as well, I think it, mm-hmm. it makes sense that we've got such a, I think we've got a really good list this year. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Very strong. It's an unusual list this year. It does, it does, it, it does reflect the judging panel's palette. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Not, like in a, not like in a personal way of this is what I like to read, but basically how they kind of view literature. You know, the prism, because I mean, like, you know, um, Lemon Cisse, who is a guest of the Literature Festival so many times, you know, you know, he's always been one of a to champion works, you know, from Africa. He always like he, he always loved works, you know, um, that blended, you know, history, like like his work, blended history, poetry and, and fiction, you know, so in a way, like books like The Shadow King definitely makes sense within the context of Lemon Cisse being there. I was also thinking about the long list and kind of any books that didn't make it and whether you were sad about that or it made sense. There was one that you mentioned, Andrea, was it such such a fun age? Like it's a great book, but you were surprised that it was on on the list. Yes, yeah. It didn't feel like a, a booker, a bookish long list book at all to me, but it was great. I loved it. It just didn't seem like something that would normally make it onto the list. And, and there was, you said, Saeed, that it reflects the palette of the of the judging panel as well. And I remember there was a year yeah. that I think it was the year Val McDermott was on, crime writer, was on the judging panel, but that great crime novel Snap by Belinda Bauer ended up mm. on the long list. Never made it to the short list, but it feels sometimes like there are these writers of genre fiction that end up on judging panels that at least manage to kind of push a genre novel yeah. onto the long list they don't make it to the short list yeah. but they get pushed to a wider audience which is lovely and you know and particularly crime fiction like crime fiction authors are a very kind of cliquey you know bunch crime fiction authors always kind of i remember, I remember at, the, um, at the emirates literature book festival we interviewed mark billingham and mark billingham or like you know um he, yeah, he, he was telling me how crime authors kind of always kind of band together you know, you know, to kind of show, you know, literature that, you know, so-called the literature, you know, you know literary authors, that what they do matter. So mm. I do kind of feel, maybe you know what, this is one for the team. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long list for you right here. Right. So who do you think is going to win? Ahlam? I'm rooting for Avni. <laughs> Said? Oh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I like, I mean, I think, I mean, if I look, if I was, if I was the Booker Award, in, in terms of, you know, in terms of marketing, in terms of getting, you know, the attention, you would not go bad with uh, with, uh, with the Shadow King. Annabelle. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think Shoggy might, but Shoggy, Sitsi or Avni. So three. I've narrowed it down to three. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's 50%. Yeah. That's um, the equivalent of, of, of just kind of going... Well, I'm going to phone a friend. Uh, Andrea, what do you think? <laughs> Uh, I feel like Shuggy's got things going for it as an award. I love that as type of <laughs> Shuggy has things going. For it. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Titi. I love Titi. This mournable body. It was difficult, and difficult books need a bit of an extra hand to to get out there. So. Even if I interesting that two of you have said Shuggy, but none of us read it for today's episode. I read one chapter. It just feels like a booker book. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but maybe it feels like a booker book of the past. Yeah, exactly. I'd be happy if the new wilderness won, but I 
I don't think it will. I'd like to be proved wrong. Do we win anything for guessing correctly? Um, yes, you will win. You will win. Oh, what is it? <laughs> this wonderful Halloween spider. <laughs> Halloween leftovers. <Yes>. Amazing. <laughs> okay. I think, uh, should we do the outro? Please. <laughs> right that's all for today we would love to know what you think who will win it and will they deserve to win it is it all political correctness gone mad it never is by the way pop us a message on social media we're on facebook instagram twitter and you can find us at elf dubai that's e-l-f dubai or emirates lit fest Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating as it helps others like you find our podcast. Thanks again, Saeed, for joining us today. Until next time, take care. Stay tuned for the big announcement on the 19th of November. Remember, on the 19th of November, we will find out who the winner is. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.